Welcome to the Fishers of Men podcast, brought to you by us at So Much Media. I'm Mary Ashley Burton. I'm Laura Samara Sands. This podcast is about relationships and your walk with Jesus. It's about the true stories of Christian men and women's struggles with chastity, sex, marriage, and relationships in a post-Christian culture. Welcome to another episode of Fishers of Men. Uh, today, I have the privilege and honor of speaking with my friend Chris Easterly, author of Falling Forward, A Man's Memoir of Divorce. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks. <laughs> uh, could you please introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm uh, Chris Easterly. Uh, as Mary Ashley said, I uh, wrote a book called Falling Forward, A Man's Memoir of Divorce. I'm also a film and TV writer, so I write TV and film scripts, and I'm busy producing some independent feature films right now. Awesome. And your religious affiliation? Yeah, I uh, grew up Baptist. I grew up in Kentucky, so everybody's Baptist there. So I was Baptist. <laughs> and uh, I got saved by the Baptist more than once. Okay, good. Yeah, me too. <laughs> got saved several times. And then in college, I started reading Thomas Merton and started getting interested in St. Francis. And I realized like these guys' lives, like their conversion stories, all the details were different from mine, but they had clearly had an encounter with, with God. And so it got me interested in the Catholic Church, and I started studying the history and theology of the church, and it, it was about a ten-year process. But I eventually went through went through RCIA two times, and then because uh, the then, first time didn't take. Yeah, the first time I was like, eh, I'm not sure, so <laughs> I needed a little more time, and then eventually became Catholic in 2007, I think. So I'm still I've been Catholic ten years, but I still feel like kind of a baby Catholic. Kind of <laughs> And so how did your marriage play into that history? Yeah, I was married for seven years and we divorced in 2011. And when we met each other, my former wife and I were both Protestant. And so we got married and then three years into our marriage, we we both joined the church. So I, I was already kind of on that path. And then I remember one day, like I had been going back and forth about whether I should join the church or not. And I, I was at the point where I realized like, I'm not really, I'm not Catholic, but I'm not Protestant anymore. So mm-hmm. I, I didn't understand all the theology and doctrine, but I understood enough to know that's where I was being called to. And so I remember one night going into the living room and just telling my, my wife at the time, you know, this is something I need to do. Like I need to join the church. And, and I said, I, you know, I res- obviously I respect your spiritual journey and, whatever you need to do, but I know this is what I have to do. And uh, so she was like, well, I'm on board. So we went through RCIA together and uh, both joined the church. Mm. Um, Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, unfortunately that didn't work out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But so tell me about your book and what inspired you to write it and what kind of response you've gotten. Yeah. Um, when I was going through the divorce, I was looking for books, you know, that would help me get through it. And most of the books I found had topics like when he leaves and <laughs> uh, a woman's journey through divorce. And, and like I bought those books and I read them and they were, you know, they helped me. But I guess, you know, I was wondering, like, where are all the books written by by dudes? And mm. um, and I found a handful, but some of them had topics like how to, you know, 
keep custody of your kids or how mm. to come out on top financially. And, and those are all important subjects, but I, I felt like none of these books are speaking to like the anger and the pain that I was going through and the sense of betrayal and loss. And one of them said, you know, like the way to recover from divorce is to, you know, like women like cars. So if you get like a cool red convertible, <laughs> you'll, no way. yeah, it actually said that. So <laughs> I was like, well, I mean, maybe that's, true i don't know but it doesn't speak to where i am yeah <laughs> so so i was like well i'm just gonna write about my experience then from a from a male perspective and and i say that but it's uh you know obviously i feel like hopefully anybody that's gone through divorce or any kind of trauma or loss can can relate to it you know because mm-hmm. i say in the book that uh, the pain is no respecter of gender but fortunately neither is healing mm-hmm. so hopefully anybody can relate and a lot of the, actually the majority of comments I've received through emails from readers and uh, reviews posted on Amazon have been from women, interestingly. Mm-hmm. So just saying that they appreciated hearing the man's perspective and that they, even though they're women and their stories were different, that they could relate. Yeah, one thing I really liked about your book that even I could relate to, even though I haven't gone through the trauma of a divorce, was how you talked about how much it impacted you emotionally to the point where like you you described going through a period where you were kind of given a a gig to do and you even like traveled for it and you were on board for it but then because of going through the divorce and everything like that you couldn't follow through with it and then you felt even worse because you couldn't follow through with the the assignment that have been given to you and I just really related to that just because I feel like that happens that's happened to me before too where it's like I'll get an opportunity and because of whatever I'm going through at the time I just don't feel ready for it and then on top of that not being able to you know having to say no and not being able to fall through with it then having to feel bad <laughs> about not yeah. being able to do it you know and I really appreciated the honesty and vulnerability of that kind of thing yeah, that that was an experience like I had never been, you know, literally like physically debilitated like that by an, an emotional trauma. And uh, yeah, I had been hired to write a, a TV movie. And so I flew from L.A. up to Portland to meet with the director. And for some reason that week, it was about three or four months into our separation. And we had already decided we were getting divorced. But for some reason that week, it just hit me being alone up there in the hotel room. And I thought, you know. Like I actually, I was like, I, I wanted to call my ex and say, was there any way we could work this out? You know, mm-hmm. even though part of me didn't want to, cause you know, it's like prideful and it's like, and there was infidelity on her part. And so, you know, I felt betrayed by that. And I was like, I'm not gonna capitulate, you know? And, but then part of me was like, I just miss her so much. And I'm like in so much pain and things aren't right. Like I'm, I've been used for six years. So I've been used to being with her. And so I remember calling her from the hotel room and saying, do you think there's anything might happen? You know, like there's a way to reconcile. And she said, you know, we'll think about it. And I hung up and I just remember laying in bed. I was supposed to be working on the script and all I could do was sleep. And, uh, Mm -hmm. and so I stayed up in Portland a couple more days and then came back to LA and, uh, and yeah, and finally just had to tell my manager, like the script, the outline for the script was due in two weeks. And I said, I just literally can't do it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, if you want to drop me as a client, understand like and I'm 
backing out on these people who hired me and I felt terrible professionally because I was burning a bridge professionally, but I just literally emotionally couldn't do it. So that's kind of how low it, it brought me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I really appreciate how open and honest you were about that because I can only imagine how deeply a divorce will affect you. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I had always said, you know, like I'm, I'm never going to get divorced. You know, it happened to my parents. It happened to my brother. You know, it's happened to uncles and I'm going to be the exception. And so when it does happen, it shakes up everything. It shakes up your sense of, you know, your idealized vision for your life, Mm -hmm. your sense of self, because, you know, I wasn't just when I was married, I wasn't just Chris. I was, you know, I was part of the couple. Yeah. I was like, I was this person's husband. I was. I was, you know, Reagan's uncle. I was whatever, you know, like mm-hmm. a son-in-law. And so it just shakes up everything about your identity. And all of a sudden you're sort of like floating in this abyss where you're like, who, I mean, it sounds cheesy, but it's like, who am I? You know, because yeah, yeah. it's kind of brought, brings all that into question. Well, and plus you all were both serious Christians when you got married. Mm-hmm. And so you seem to be both on the same page about what marriage was and like you described meeting with the pastor and he said something about marriage being forever and you all both laughed because you were like, yeah, we're on board. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, this is a pastor in Kentucky where I'm from. He was like, I got a gun up in my closet, you know? And he was like, I, I told my wife, if she ever wants to get out of this marriage, like, she can take that gun out and she can shoot me, but she can't divorce me. You know, he's like, we're never going to get divorced. And so me and my ex were like, yeah, you know, we're, that's, that's where we're at too. We're on board. And I think we both genuinely believed as Christians and having good intentions for our marriage, like that we, I don't don't think anybody, hopefully, you know, most people don't enter into marriage saying like, well, you know, yeah, this will probably end in the divorce. (laughs) So, you know, we had the best of intentions and, um, you know, but we just, you grow and you're, yeah, I mean, we were, we weren't that young. I, you know, I was like 29 and, uh, and she was 30, but we had both dated enough up to that point that we felt like we knew what we wanted in a partner. And so we were like, let's just go ahead and do it. And we met online on eHarmony and we only knew each other about four months before we got engaged. And, uh, so that one of the things looking back that you wonder was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously looking back, it's like, well, we moved too quickly. And at one point when the marriage was kind of collapsing, like we both admitted if we had waited a little bit longer, we might not have married each other. So Mm. it's sort of easy to look back and say, this is what went wrong. This is what went wrong. We weren't ready, you know, either. Again, even though we were a little bit older, like we weren't ready emotionally or psychologically or, you know, spiritually. But at the same time, it's weird because it's like, who's ever ready? you know, to enter into a relationship like that. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's never like a right time. And some people get married when they're 19 and they stay married till death, you know? Mm -hmm. And then some people get married when they're 50 and two years later they're divorced. So who knows? (laughs) Obviously age doesn't have a whole lot to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. So could you talk a little bit about what the process of getting an annulment was like? Yeah, I uh, decided probably a couple years after the divorce, I, you know, I started reading about annulments and I thought, well, if I ever do, first of all, it took about two to three years to actually feel like I got to the point healed enough 
where I could even start thinking about that. And, you know, in the book I say like healing knows no timeline. So there's no right time with, you know, if anybody says, well, within a year you should be better in dating. Like that's not necessarily true. It takes a different amount of time for everybody. But yeah, a couple of years after the divorce, I was like, I take my Catholic faith seriously and I want to look into annulment. And so I uh, started reading a little bit about it and I went to a local priest in Burbank where I was living and just asked him about the process. And he said, well, first of all, an annulment is there's a lot of misunderstanding and annulment is not a Catholic divorce. Mm. Um, it just means that in the eyes of the church, a sacramental marriage never actually took place because of a certain because of certain criteria. And that could be, you know, that at the time you were married, you never intended to stay faithful or you weren't open to having children or there's, there's all kinds of different criteria. You know, you weren't, there was some psychological grave psychological condition, which prevented you from making that commitment, you know, that might not have been developed or revealed to later. Yeah. Or admitted to later. But anyway, when he told me that the priest, he, he said, you know, it just basically means your marriage never existed. And like immediately I just chafed at that and it like made me, angry and it made me sad and I was like what are you talking about like you weren't there my my marriage totally existed like you know like we bonded we made love like we you know we had shared experiences um you know she was in grad school I was pursuing a film career we went through all that together like of course it it happened you know don't don't tell me like and you had a wedding yeah (laughs) we had a wedding and it was like don't tell me that marriage didn't exist so I left his office and I just took the paperwork and I put it in my drawer, desk drawer, and like left it there for like the next year because I just wasn't ready. But, you know, but then over the year, I I read a little more and prayed and thought about it. And I thought, you know, I understood what he was saying. And and he did tell me an annulment would mean that your marriage never existed in the eyes of the church. But that doesn't mean that you didn't have a valid bond with this person and that Mm -hmm. you had shared experiences that were legitimate and you know, you were civilly married and if you had kids, which we did not, but if you had kids born out of that marriage, they're legitimate. And, you know, mm-hmm. so I slowly started to realize that and then got back to the point where I was like, okay, you know, I ideally, you know, I'm open, hopefully I'm open to whatever God has for me, but like, ideally I would like to maybe get married again. And so if I'm going to in the Catholic church, then I need to get an annulment. So I started filling out the paperwork again and met with a deacon from my church in Kentucky, where I'm based right now. And he kind of walked me through the process. And when we started filling out the paperwork and just going through that whole process. And so what was it like to have to (laughs) recapitulate through all of your entire relationship? Yeah, it's it's weird, but it's like it's good, too, because. At least the questionnaire I did, it was like a, maybe 50 questions or so. And it talks about, you know, your childhood and your, your family background and your courtship and your your dating and your marriage and after marriage. And so it really makes you dig deep and kind of figure out who am I and like what conditions contributed to the failure of the marriage and, you know, going all the way back to your childhood, the way you were raised, you know, potentially or any psychological conditions or, but yeah, it makes you kind of dig deep and figure out what went wrong. So it's, it's really like a healing process that you have to go through. And for me, you're writing the book. Like I had already written the book right? I was just gonna a couple that. years before. So part of me was like, why don't I just give the tribunal my book? You know, <laughs> it's like, save all this trouble. I'll just give them my book. Yeah. And in writing my book, it was interesting because 
I wanted to tell my story, but I also wanted to, my instinct was like to protect my ex as I was writing it. You know, I didn't want to make it a hit piece or, you know, scandalize or anything. But I remember I wrote a draft of it and I gave it to my editor, a friend of mine, and she read it. And she had known both of both me and my ex when we were married and through the divorce. And so she, my editor read the draft and she said, you know, you're not being like truthful. Like you're not telling everything that happened. And it reads weird because of that. And she said, like, if your thesis of your book is that you will survive marriage, then you need to show everything you survived. Mm. And so I went back and I rewrote a couple chapters and I added a new chapter. And, and that was a healing process to kind of admit what I had been through. Cause again, I still found myself like trying to, you know, hold back on the truth, but you got to sort of tell the whole truth of what happened. And, and a friend of mine told me as I was going through this process of rewriting, she said, you know, like in an, in an abusive relationship, the abuser is always happy to let the guilty person carry all the guilt. And I'm not saying I was abused in my relationship, but I realized through this rewriting process, like I had been carrying a lot of guilt over the failure of the marriage for a couple of years. And I kind of came to the point where I was like, you know what? Like, yeah, it takes two to two to tango. And like, you know, both parties contribute to the dissolution of a marriage. But I also have to let her take some of the responsibility for it, you know, for what happened. And and I can't bear all the, the burden and the guilt. And so I was able to kind of release through writing the book. I was able to release that burden of guilt and, and just say, you know what, like I'll do better in the future and forgive myself and forgive her, but, uh, move on. So that was the process of writing the book. And then again, to answer your question, going through the annulment paperwork, it was kind of going back through that process again and just, you know, figuring out where it went wrong and thinking that stuff out on paper and Mm -hmm. submitting it. And, but it's weird because you also have to get witnesses so you have to have three, at least three witnesses, I think, uh, people who knew you before and during the the marriage. And so I got my ex's mother and brother and then a close friend of mine. And then I don't know what the questions were that they answered, but they both submitted their testimony about why they thought there might have been a flaw in our marriage from the beginning. Wow. Yeah. Was that weird to think about that they might have been hiding these feelings yeah I thought like what did my mother-in-law really think you know know, like she was nice to me and she loved me but like you know who knows what she was really thinking yeah but they all agreed to say you know to say what they they thought and I haven't read their responses but could you do they that's a good question I don't know if I could request I, I don't think so I think actually one of the conditions is like I had to tell them, like, I'm not allowed to read your response so mm-hmm. that they feel free to write whatever they want to, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so you got the three witnesses and then you submit the questionnaire and then, yeah, and then it just goes off to, to the tribunal. And the weird thing is like, now it's off to the tribunal and you just wait. And it's like, you know, you're, you're sort of, your fate is in the hands <laughs> of these like, you know, whatever, four or five people who I've never met, you mm-hmm. know, and they're deciding whether I was ever really married or not and whether I can get married again, you know, and it, in a lot of ways, it seems like a really legalistic thing. It's like, well, is, why is it their business? Yeah. You know? But at the same time, you like, you have to trust that, you know, they're qualified and, and the Holy spirit is still working. In yeah. The church. Like hopefully they're called by the church and <laughs> to be in that position. And, this, and I pray about it, you know, I yeah. pray about it every day that the spirit moves through the process and you know, that God's will is done. But, it's so weird though. Cause you're kind of in, 
a position of like Schrodinger's marriage where it's like either it was a marriage or it wasn't and it could it could be both at the stage that you are right now you just have to yeah. wait until the church tells you yeah and that's a weird that is a weird <laughs> position to be in because it's like again part of me feels like of course I was in a marriage and even the church acknowledges you were in a civil marriage yeah you know that that ex- that relationship and those experiences you shared were real yeah but the but, issue uh, is sacramentality yeah exactly um so if I want to get married in the church again, or even date, I have to be aware of that. I've been on some dates, you know. I haven't had a serious relationship since my divorce, but I've dated and been on dates. And But I think part of me has always just been, like, reticent or, you know, just trying to be careful about falling too deeply for somebody. Because what if the decision comes back and it says, we're not granting your annulment? Yeah. You know, and then what do you do? Yeah. So I don't, I don't have the answer to that. You know, I'm, I'm, honestly, my prayer is like, we all pray, you know, thy will be done. But then I always tack on my own, but let the annulment go through. You know? <laughs> <laughs> because that's what I want. You know, like I want to, even if I never got married again, like just to know that there's that freedom. closure. Yeah. That freedom. Yeah. And, and again, I feel like I want female companionship, you know, and I want love again, if that's what's supposed to be. But like, I feel hesitant to just totally release myself until the annulment decision comes through. Yeah. Um, and that's just where I am, like as a, as a Catholic. And again, a lot of it feels sort of legalistic sometimes. It's like, why am I letting this church, this bureaucracy or these people I don't know decide my fate, you know, but at the same time, it's like, you have to trust at least I feel like I have to trust the process and just see what happens. But so, like, let's say you get granted the annulment. Does the idea of getting married, well, I guess if you're granted the annulment, getting married for the first time uh-huh. <laughs> or getting married again, did right. that scare you? I don't really think of that. <laughs> okay, that's, that's really That's good. my way of facing problems. Is just, Coping, yeah. Yeah, just, just pretend, Ignore. pretend it's not there. No, um... No, I think, uh, I mean, I think for one thing, I was talking to a friend the other day who's been through two wives and he's not, he's not, he's not Catholic, but we were both saying, you know, in a way, like when I get into a serious relationship again, if I do, like, I kind of want somebody who's like also been like damaged, you know, yeah. like, because they understand what it is. They'll understand. Hopefully they'll know more what it's like. And so I think in some ways, like, I'm, I guess you could say I'm a little bit cynical but hopefully like in a wise way you know that you have wisdom and so when you enter into a new relationship you won't get engaged after four months you know and like you'll get to know each other and you'll take your time and you'll but another thing I talk about in the book which I also feel and this may sound like jaded and cynical but I don't believe like in soulmates anymore I mean maybe there's such a thing but I feel like there's just people that you connect with and you form a bond with And you're both willing to take that leap of faith with. And if I get into a serious new relationship that leads toward marriage, it's not going to be based on like tingly feelings and, (laughs) you know, and and like hopefully that's there, you know, like I think you need to have that, the feelings and the passion and the butterflies, but that's not going to be like 
the main criteria, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. So, does that make sense? Is that, yeah. So do you think that's more what your decision was based on the first time? I think that was part of it. I mean, I think part of it was we both were at an age where we were like, again, we've dated enough. Like we, when we thought we like each other, you know, we love each other. Why not? Why wait? You know, it's mm-hmm. like we're 30. Mm-hmm. Why wait? Let's just start our life together and let's do it. But, but again, we would have benefited from taking more time to get to know each other. For sure. I guess one thing that scares me, even about the possibility of annulments, even the fact that annulments exist, is the party that isn't really at fault. And I know that's kind of the hot button topic right now in the church, or one of them, mm-hmm. about like, what if you're the party that didn't want the divorce and you don't really have control over the other person's behavior and you're making a vow that you think is valid? Right. And the other person isn't, or the other person, you know, has a mental illness that maybe they, they don't even know about, or maybe they're not telling you about Yeah, and you won't find out about until later. And in a way, sometimes the annulment process seems like totally valid in a way to attain freedom, but in a, another way, it seems like kind of a cop out in a way to dig for reasons in the past mm-hmm. because a marriage didn't work out. Yeah. I mean, I guess if, if one party really intended to stay married and you know and they had all the the right reasons for being married but the other didn't then it still wasn't valid because it takes both parties right. to like make the sacrament valid that's I what's guess. so scary yeah and it is about scary. the idea of getting married it is scary because you don't know i mean and again that's why it's so important to take time to develop that relationship and that sense of trust and of knowing who a person is and and you know even even after you do that like the scary thing is people change. Yeah. Like I wasn't the same person six years later after I married and, and, and she wasn't the same person, you know, like you change and hopefully along the way you don't make decisions that cause irreparable damage. But, you know, again, some couples last 80 years and, you know, and then others, you know, make decisions that, that destroy the marriage. But again, it's like, it is scary. It gets back to that just, Hopefully you both know each other and you're prepared enough mm-hmm. and you to take that leap of faith. But also like we went through uh, marriage counseling with a Baptist preacher friend of mine. But again, it was only like a two or three month thing. And yeah. I know in the Catholic tradition, there's pre-cana, which is like six months. Right. I was just going to ask if you feel like you would have benefited from pre-cana. And yeah, all I, think, the... I think so. I think totally like and now like if if I ever get married again, you know, I'm assuming I'll marry a Catholic, like we would go through pre-cana and six month process. I mean, six months, it's like, well, that should be minimum, you know, Yeah. what you go through together to figure out what's going on. And, you know, if you're right for each other and if this is a wise decision. So, yeah. Yeah. So as you've been going on dates during the summer process, you talked a little bit about it, but are you really open from the get go about your status right now? Yeah, I uh, like I've been on Catholic Match and OK Cupid, and I put on my profile, you know, that I'm in process, you know, of whether I'm free to marry in the Catholic Church. I put I'm in process and uh, and just try to be honest about where I'm at and just you know, I, again, I don't know honestly, like I don't know if that's fair, like yeah, to women that might be interested yeah because it's like i'm basically saying up front like i kind of i want to get to know people and i do want to get to know friends and cool people that i can like hang out with and hike with and go to the movies and get to know people you know and just have that fellowship because i think that's another important thing about going through a divorce is like 
it's tempting to just stay in your bed and like cry all day, but like, <laughs> but you need to right. have community, you know? And so that is genuinely one thing I was looking for, like going on Catholic match and stuff. But at the same time, it's like, you know, also like you're opening yourself up to the possibility of falling for someone. And then is that fair to them? Because am I really free to enter into a serious relationship with them? Because obviously the end goal of a serious relationship would be marriage. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you have to be careful. And, and again, I indicate on my Catholic match profile, you know, that I recently went through a divorce and, or, you know, a few years ago and like that I'm going through the annulment process. And right now I'm looking for cool people to hang out with and blah, blah, blah. But you still have to be aware that again, yeah, like on a site like that, most people are probably <laughs> looking for something more permanent. And yeah. so I don't know, maybe I shouldn't be on there, but I am. So. <laughs> yeah. What's the point of you being on there? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Why don't I just find friends somewhere else? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, friendfinder.com. Yeah. Friendfinder.com. Cat- <laughs> Catholicfriendfinder.com. <laughs> I mean, but you said, I mean, it, it is really hard to just kind of extricate the need for companionship from ourselves. You know, it's almost a part of our humanity. We can't really escape because if we try to stuff it down and ignore it, then it that's not really going to work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, fellowship's important, you know, you got to have other people to be around and remind you that you're you're a, you're especially going through a trauma like divorce you gotta have other people around whether it's friends or family or whatever to remind you that you're still a person and like you're valid and mm. you're you know you're desirable like people want to be around you and mm. you know that kind of thing you're not a failure yeah you're not a failure and, and that's a you know that's a huge thing the stigma of divorce is like stigma you feel from other people and also just on yourself is like I think especially getting back to the man's memoir of divorce, it's like, for whatever reason, generally men feel like, uh, you know, like, where did I, like, if something's broke, I want to be able to fix it. Mm-hmm. Like, if you tell me a problem, like, well, the first response is like, well, how do we fix it? You know, as opposed to like, just listening to you talk about your problem or whatever. When you go through a, a situation like a divorce, it's like a problem that can't be fixed. So all of a sudden there's something that's broken and you can't fix it. And for men, that's really hard. And I'm sure obviously for women too. You know, but it's something you can't repair. And so you feel weak and you feel vulnerable and you feel like a failure. And so you need other people, yeah, to remind you like, no, this just happened, you know, like this isn't you, you know, you're not a failure. And that's another thing is like I say in the book is like, you know, like I have my scars, but they mark me, but they don't define me. You know, and so I'm not a divorced person. Mm-hmm. And, and in a weird way, like I'm speaking at this uh, Journey of Hope conference with uh, that's put on by Lisa Duffy um, in August of 2017 in Charleston, South Carolina. And it's for divorced Catholics. And I'm speaking about my book and about divorce from a man's perspective. And I was telling a friend the other day, like in some ways I feel weird about going to that event and talking about that stuff because I feel like that's not where I am anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's like, who am I to talk about that? Yeah. But then my friend told me, well, that's what qualifies you to speak there because you're proof that, you, you know, yeah, that. like five years later, you're not that person yeah. who talks about it, you know, like you, you got through it. And so you're proof that you will survive it. You will get through it. Yeah. I'd like to backtrack a little bit, though, about what was it that made you decide definitively this marriage can't go on anymore? Yeah, that's a good question. Like I said, my ex had an affair and I had been going through some depression just 
not even related to the marriage. Like it was just a depression that like manifested in my early thirties. Um, so that didn't help, you know? And so I remember a few months before she told me she had an affair, like she, we were talking and she said, you know, I don't know if this is going to, if this marriage is going to last. And I remember thinking like, she was like, there's no passion, you know, there's whatever. And I remember thinking like, that's a ludicrous thing to say. Like if, there's no passion. We'll just, do, yeah, I don't feel passionate because I'm depressed and all I feel like doing is sleeping, you know, but if there's no passion, we'll just do the work we have to do to, to work it out, not just quit the marriage, you know? Mm-hmm. But what I didn't realize at the time when she told me that she had already had an affair. So then a couple months later she confessed it. And then this was like Thanksgiving, 2010. And, uh, and we decided to take a break for the holidays and she went back to her family and I went back to mine and we spent the holidays apart and then came back together in January. And honestly, like, you know, I could be wrong or whatever, but I just felt like I knew myself enough to know that this was something I couldn't get past. And I know a lot of couples try and they do and they can. And I think if you can, you should try that. But I just felt like, you know, I don't want to be 15 years from now, we go through another crisis and I have to wonder, well, is she going to cheat on me? You know? And so I just thought I just emotionally, like I can't do it. And plus I was just, you know, I felt betrayed and insecure and angry. And so I just kind of decided like, I just don't think we can do this. And so we started the, the divorce paperwork and then just kind of moved forward from there. So but it's weird to think about, like, do you kind of ever reflect on your marriage in light of if the annulment is granted? Like, because it's like, on on the one hand, it's virtuous, obviously, I would say, to try to remain in a marriage and give it your all. But if the church ends up saying that it wasn't even a valid marriage, do you look back on it, like, in those terms? Not really, because I think all you can do is work with what you know at the time. Yeah. So it's like, you can't look back and say, well, I should have just ended it. Yeah. I should have ended it before (laughs) Before we started. (laughs) Yeah. Or I could have gone and done this or whatever. But like, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, you just, you take it a day at a time. And, you know, as far as I knew, I was in a valid marriage and, you know, even though I was depressed and we had issues and stuff, I was trying to make our marriage work, you know, and then she confessed the affair and that was just kind of the first crack in the armor that split everything up. So, yeah, but it's still a chicken or the egg thing. In terms of? Well, you know, like, well, I mean, I'm not going to claim to know what makes people cheat or right. if anything makes a person cheat or, you know. Yeah. But it's like, was the infidelity right. a product of the marriage? or Right, right. You know. Right. And I think it's all, it's both and, you know. Yeah. It's like, again, like when you're in, and, and, and that's why, like, when I look back, I don't, in a weird way, like I don't blame her. Like I don't hold her accountable for it anymore in the sense that it's like, well, I understand she was in pain too, whether it was right or not to have an affair. Like, I don't think that's right, but I understand like what could have driven her to that, you know? And, and even though I feel like that never, it never would have crossed my mind to do that. That doesn't mean I'm incapable of it, you know, like I could do that too. So I try to be compassionate toward her, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really important because, um, there have been a few stories in the news lately, or just comments I've seen on Facebook of people like actually advocating for like 
jail sentences for adultery oh. or <laughs> yeah yeah there, apparently there are people that that's some old testament stuff right there think that yeah yeah some scarlet <laughs> letter good old-fashioned puritanical uh yeah. legislative values but yeah so it is interesting to see that a lot of people still do seem to think that shame is really important yeah but honestly like when when i was going through the divorce and all that stuff happened like again in a weird way i wasn't i mean i was angry but like i didn't want her to be in pain like mm-hmm. I didn't want her to be ashamed and hurt because I knew she was going through stuff too so it sounds kind of counterintuitive maybe but it or maybe it was just because I was used to for six years like trying to look out for her best interests yeah, being the protector yeah but it was like I remember her brother told me one time on the phone he's like man I'm so pissed at her you know and blah 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 and I was like look dude I was like you need to be the like I can't be there for her now you know but you need to be the one who's like there for her because she needs her family right now, you know, but I'm not in a position to do that. But yeah. but that was kind of my instinct. So I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I, I definitely tend to be on the side more of uh, let's have compassion with people that sin and confess and regret it. Yeah. <laughs> Rather than. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, I think my ex, you know, did regret it. And I don't think she did what she did like out of a desire to hurt me or anything, you know, because that's, that's the thing now. I think she was just in pain and yeah, you know, uh, whatever she was going through. But that was another thing in the book I say is like, I can't try to figure out all the answers to that because you could go crazy trying to figure out why she did what she did. Right. And, you know, at some point you got to just forgive her and forgive yourself for your mistakes and let it go. Yeah. And you sent her a copy, right? Before. Yeah. Yeah. I sent her a copy of the book. Cause I wanted her to know, what was going out there. And so she read it and she said she went through a box of Kleenex, you know, and it was hard, but she thinks, you know, hopefully it'll help people. And so, you know, and and even till today, like we don't talk all the time, but occasionally we'll send a text back and forth about something, you know? And so that was the other kind of weird thing is like I say in the book, we didn't hate each other. And in some ways it almost would have been easier if if we, it was like a knockdown drag out. We hated each other because it would be easier just to hate them and, you know, but we didn't, you know, it was just a sad situation, you know, and so you try to be, work through all the anger and hurt and all that, but then come out to where you can be as compassionate as you can, you know, and move on. Yeah. So do you think that people have been helped by this book? I hope so. I might've mentioned earlier, like a lot of the reviews I've received on amazon.com and letters, like emails I've received from people have said, you know, that they could relate to what was being said, even if they were a 60-year-old woman whose husband had left them, you know, 10 years before or whatever, that they could still relate to what I was saying. And so I hope that that's encouraged people. And even if there's not as many reviews left by guys, like maybe they're reading it, but they're more hesitant to just leave a review. But mm-hmm. one that's another re- reason I wrote the book was, again, for whatever reason, guys generally are less inclined to sit down and just talk about like how much they're in pain. So they talk about, you know, sports or whatever, but, but I thought, well, maybe with a book, a guy can download or buy the book and, you know, just read it in the privacy of his own home and know, okay, like, even though I'm not talking to somebody else about it, here's another person saying they've been through it. And so I know I'm not alone, you know? Yeah. 
I think that's definitely important. Well, I feel like that is a pretty good place to wrap up. Okay. So where can we find your book? It's available on Amazon.com. If you just look up, you just search for uh, Falling Forward, A Man's Memoir of Divorce. And you can get it either in paperback or you can download it uh, on Kindle. And there's an audiobook. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's also available as an Audible uh, audiobook. Yeah, so you can listen to it. And that's another cool thing. I thought, you know, if you don't, if you're going through a divorce or some kind of trauma, like, and you don't feel like sitting down and reading a book, maybe you just want to go for a drive or go for a jog, and you can just kind of listen to it. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I definitely highly recommend the book. I read it and. Also, I'll include the information on that conference. Um, okay. Lisa Duffy was also a guest on our show. and Yeah, she's great. I think that's definitely an important topic. So thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. This has been another episode of Fishers of Men. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, please email us at fishersofmenpodcast at gmail.com or find us on our website at fishersofmenpodcast.com. We are also on Facebook under Fishers of Men. Follow us on Twitter at at LA Gone Fishing or on Instagram at Fishers of Men Podcast. There is an underscore after each word. Please also remember to rate and make comments on iTunes if you feel so inclined. It's really important so that other people can discover our podcast. I'm Laura Samir Sams. I'm Mary Asher Burton. Until next time, keep swimming.